Hey, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for joining us for a special digital exclusive with the one, the only, Candace Cameron Bure. Candace is an actress, a producer, an author, mother, and a pretty cool sister. Am I, though? <laughs> Am I a cool sister? <laughs> yes, you're the coolest. When I talk about the Matrix and escaping it, when I talk about the real world, I'm not talking just about being able to give you real information. I'm not talking about a system which exists completely outside of the Matrix, our own servers, our own banks, our own payment processes, our own constructs that prevent the Matrix from shutting us down. I'm also talking about a way for you to earn money in ways they don't tell you. Welcome everyone to another episode of Wet Wired. I'm Sean Andes. And I'm Julian Paul Butt. Over here, we're counting down the days to 2023, and it has been an incredibly exciting year for the show. We have covered so much material in the last year. Some of it was pretty fun. A, a whole lot of it was fairly terrifying, but everything was interesting. I mean, the, the, the night fevers were worth it. <laughs> yeah, right. Waking up with anxiety about what's going to happen next. Yeah. <laughs> and over the last year, we've had the pleasure of meeting quite a few people and have had some really exceptional guests. I mean, seriously, every single one of our guests has been fantastic. It's been a pleasure the, for every single one of them. Uh, early on, we had Carl Mamer, who was our very first guest on the show to talk about Canadian Nazi Ernst Zundel. And then after that, we were able to talk, or at least I was able to talk with Thomas Lecoq, the historian who focuses on medieval apocalypt uh, apocalyptism and the Crusades, to come on. And he came on and talked about Christian nationalism and, the, and how uh, white supremacist tropes appear in video games and in films. It, it, that was a, such an amazing conversation. Martin Rook talked about how extremism spreads on Telegram. Then just a couple of weeks ago, we had a fantastic conversation with Steph Halmhofer about how Graham Hancock is robbing the history of indigenous peoples as he spreads his Atlantis myths. I, I had a friend who messaged me on Facebook when I, when I posted about that, and she said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to that episode. I really, I really enjoyed Graham Hancock. And I said, spoiler alert. We, we're not very nice. <laughs> yeah, you're probably... I get followed by a lot, a lot of people who... I'm not sure... I, I don't even look deep and deeply enough, really, to see what kind of pattern these accounts have to see if they're bots or actual humans. But I get followed by a considerable number of people, both on the, uh, the Wetwired account and on, the, on my personal Twitter account who I know are just not going to last very long because you the they 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 found they found the uh, my profile through because there was some word or something that was used and it came up in a surge and they just don't seem like a good fit <laughs> <laughs> like that lady who followed us because we talked about mass formation psychosis and then she very quickly realized that we were on opposite sides of the idea from her yeah, uh, we 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 didn't have very very positive things on that particular note. 
Something that's also really cool and I'm super excited about is that we really seem to be hitting our stride as a show. We've been getting a lot more feedback and that is absolutely awesome. I, I don't think I don't think people who listen to the show really understand how great it is for the for show creators to get feedback. And maybe it's not the same for everybody who has who is doing something and has you know, it has a Substack or a podcast or something like that, but is basically just putting their stuff out there. Maybe they don't all feel this way, but I absolutely love hearing from people. And when I get contacted out of the blue and somebody makes a comment, even or a, even a criticism, it's absolutely fantastic because it's you know it's just some connection to somebody who has heard something that I until they reach out, I don't know that they heard it. I just see the numbers. And I don't know anything about the people that are listening. So when people reach out, it's fantastic. And so that should be encouragement to everybody to send us messages, DM us, whatever, you know, like let us know. And at this point, our listenership isn't nearly big enough to for that to be uh, unmanageable. But if it got unmanageable, maybe, you know. We'll have to do something. That would about be a that. great problem to have. <laughs> yeah. I, I have, I have some folks who who've messaged me who I know, and and said things along the lines comparing us to some other widely more popular, wildly more popular podcasts, and uh, it's it's really nice to hear that where we're like, oh, it's it's like we're special, and 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 then uh, one even said uh, one of those aforementioned podcasts uh, is one that Sean and I listen to religiously. And she said to me, yeah, you guys and that one are the only ones that I subscribe to on Patreon. And I'm like, yep, that's fantastic. I remember a, uh, I remember a, uh, a pen that I saw, or it wasn't a pen. I actually have no idea where I remember it, but the, uh, it was a cartoon. And the uh, the cartoon was that a uh, uh, man, like a uh, homely man with giant penis, unable, uh, unsure how to get the word out. <laughs> <laughs> so that's 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 how I feel. Like, I I think we have something really great here, but I'm not sure how to let people know. You, you just gotta you just gotta uh, be part of that that Scottish song uh, about uh, getting too drunk and finding yourself with a blue ribbon. So not not to uh, pat us our, pat ourselves on the back too much, but since the beginning of the year, we have also more than tripled our monthly listeners. So no, that is not going from one to four. <laughs> it's a bit more dramatic than that, and that is absolutely awesome. But you wouldn't necessarily know that if you were checking out our Discord. The I, I literally thought we had another sign up to our Discord until I found out that. Jules doesn't know how to use a computer and he accidentally signed up twice. <laughs> I'm like a fucking boomer. So we we could uh we could really use some enthusiastic Where's my PDF? <laughs> we could really use right exactly. Ask me. Yeah, Jules will ask you how to open a PDF. We we could really use some enthusiastic motivated comrades to jump in there and just stir things up a little bit, add some stuff, post some things clean things up, organize it, make it more inviting to other potential signups. Because I, I do suspect that there have been people who have gone to have followed the link and just not created an account because 
it is just pretty fucking quiet. You can go there and tech shame me if you want. You really, totally you fine. really should just follow him around the internet and tech shame him wherever you find him. <laughs> and not to really give any excuses, but just explanations. The fact that both of us work full time and between writing episodes, editing episodes, and doing what little promotion we 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 do, that's basically the time that we generally have. Yeah, and, and again, you know, not to drag Jules too much, but to intentionally drag Jules again, just look at our TikTok. He literally has not I, even updated our profile image. I, I haven't, you know, so our our uh, our new NFT, our our proprietary NFT for tit for our for our wet wire. I guarantee images this is going nowhere. Is not even. <laughs> I can tell with the tone of voice now. After recording episodes with him over the last year or and change, I I, I just know I, I know when the first words come out in the sentence that like I'm either gonna cut it or make fun of it. <laughs> I, I I'm probably gonna post a couple of TikToks pretty soon on that on that uh, account. N- nobody probably. don't Maybe. even bother checking; they won't be there. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so all that said, if anyone out there is a fan of the show or even just slightly likes it and it wants to help out with that discord, hit us up on Twitter or join the server and let us know there. The link to the discord will be in the show notes as it always is. The job pays absolutely nothing. It has, it has so few benefits that it's pretty much just negative benefits. But if that sounds like you anyway, <laughs> let us know. This will also be our last episode of the year so that we can both take some time off for the holidays. So we thought we'd plan a little something different than the usual format where we write a script and cover a topic, explore it, learn something new ourselves, and hopefully spread something interesting out there. Instead, we thought it would be fun to just take a look back at some of the things and people that we've already covered over the last year and check in to see how things have been going. But before we get going with that, there is also something else that we want to talk about. Embarrassingly, in all the rush to and fro, you know, hither and thither, you might say, in all that rush- That's how I say it. We completely forgot our own birthday. (laughs) I don't know how you missed something like that. It is our first year doing this show, and we forgot our own anniversary. I, if if, if you've met me in the last year- uh, or you've been one of the unfortunate souls who's one of my close friends, the only thing that you're going to hear from me is the latest episode of the podcast. And yet somehow uh, we forgot our own birthday. Oh, you forgot your birthday, Damn didn't it. you, Frank? Such an idiot. Wet Wired officially turned one year old on November 1st. I think, I think it's because we both love being very, very spooky. That's that's All Saints Day. Such a which is esoteric right thing after, to mention. I mean, well, it's not esoteric. After I the, mean, it's right after the notes in this script. I, you know, if the oh, people listening to this show could see the stuff that I look at. <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say was, it's right after All Hallows Eve. And uh, that is when how the veil old are is you? First off, I, I really want to know because sometimes some there is a really strong <laughs> boomer vibe. <laughs> well, 
All right, all right, Jules. All right, I, here, here, here's your challenge for the uh, for as we round out the uh, the last year. Why don't you give us a segue into the main show? Doctor Who usually saves the world about now oh in the Christmas God. special. I I'm not I'm not sure if it worked, and we've all had mass amnesia, or if this is just the onset of dementia. Uh, mediocrity has been the highlight. Oh my the God. Highlight of this year. So, uh, whatever you do, don't open any sarcophagi. Don't explore Antarctica. Don't send messages to outer space. And whatever you do, don't say Blavatsky three times. Uh, at least the world didn't end this year. And I guess that's a fucking Christmas miracle. That was terrible. <laughs> I, 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 I don't even have a joke. That was. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hate everything about it? <laughs> so first off, I really was hoping you'd just wing it, and that would have been better than. <laughs> <laughs> if I winged it, I would have talked about Doctor Who and Blavatsky. I know you would have too. You really would have. First on our recap list is the president of El Salvador, Nayib Bukele. Putting him in here is really a bit of a stretch because, well, for a few reasons. First, Bukele didn't actually get his own episode. He was mentioned back in episode three when we were covering Dogecoin and the Seasteaders. And second, Doge, episode three, the Dogecoin episode, was actually released in December 2021. So it wasn't even over the last year. But since we're already playing pretty loose with the rules, we're going to include Bukele and El Salvador anyway. Anybody who listened to that episode or remembers what was going on uh, in December of last year will remember that Bukele and El Salvador made Bitcoin legal currency in, uh, for, the, for the entire country back then. And that, that was the, the reason that we were talking about it, because as we were talking about how, Do, you know, Dogecoin going to the moon and Elon Musk pumping things up. And then, you know, as, as we, as we both know, there's been a huge crash in all of crypto since then. Since, uh, today Bitcoin has dropped to around $17,000 to it, uh, or $17,000 to the dollar, which is about half of what it was worth when El Salvador made it legal currency. And, even even with all the effort that Bukele was making, adoption rate for using Bitcoin, even in El Salvador, where it is legal currency, is still it's something like 30 percent adoption rate as far uh, for people who are using it in any sort of day to day transactions, which if you if any of the, you know, the, the, the Bitcoin maximalists or even the just the general crypto evangelists will say that's the big draw of all these currencies is transactions. And they always say the utility of just financial transactions where they're going to be so useful and to, to be able to step away from fiat currency and in a country who made it legal tender. That's still not even happening because that was always just either a pipe dream or just absolute fraud from anybody who's talking about it. Nobody wants to use Bitcoin to buy things with. It's not it's not it doesn't have enough substance and consistency to use for currency because who wants to use a currency that's that's fluctuating in value thousands of dollars up and down every month? The whole point of a currency is that it has stability. 
which is largely what we talked about in that episode and other episodes. That's what but, you want. You, I mean, nobody why, wants to get a paycheck in Bitcoin and have it be worth 20% less by the time they go to the bank. The reason that other countries have literally made the US dollar their standard currency, I'm thinking Argentina. Lots of countries uh, have pegged their currency to the dollar. And, and, and in addition to that, that the several world markets have been pegged to the American dollar, such as oil and uh, and and other things. Now that 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 has its own that has its own downsides. Obviously, his, his, if if we if does. we go into but, a recession, we kind of take everybody else with us. We sh- we sure do. But the reason that all that happened, and in part the reason why we use the U.S. dollar, the green dollar, or as it was once known, the greenback, today, is because. It formed stability roughly and Actually, the greenback was its own thing. That, that was the currency during the Civil War that, that Lincoln instituted. The Civil instituted. War, that's what I was going to say. But, but we it, went back from that. There wasn't a, a, steady, a steady state where we went to the greenback and then stayed there. The, the, la- the name stuck, but what they did is that they didn't have enough gold in the, in the treasury to fund the Civil War effort, uh, the North, that is. So they, they realized that Oh, all of this was meaningless in the first place, and the money is totally made up. So they 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 went off of the gold standard uh, standard during Lincoln's administration, and then created the greenback, which was no longer redeemable for gold, so that they could buy all the stuff they needed to buy for the war effort. But after after the war, they went back to the gold standard, and we didn't come off it until the sixties. I'm only bringing that up because like the nickname stuck around for the dollar, but it's not this. It's not like it just went there and stayed that way. It, well, it's not the same thing. But during the Civil War and then after the Civil War, the reason why that is so significant for U.S. currency is because prior to that, U.S. or currency in the U.S. was bank by bank, and you had this phone book sized thing in any any kind of institution or, or tavern or whatever it is to figure out what your currency based on your bank is trading at uh, right down to having things like the scams like the currency of the golden fleece <laughs> you know I mean the the number of currencies that were available because they were based on bank notes that turned into one singular currency for the whole country was the the consolidation towards stability and stability is what made it so important and so valuable that's what a good currency does since el salvador started buying bitcoin they've spent about 375 million dollars on on bitcoin specifically and most of it was bought when bitcoin was valued over $30,000 to the dollar so, so far, the country has lost around $60 million in this Bitcoin experiment. But in spite of Bitcoin, of uh, Bukele's Bitcoin maximalism, he doesn't really have much to show after all that spending. Because like we said, around 70% of El Salvadorans still don't even use it. This is from CNBC. It has been more than a year since El Salvador made history by becoming the first country to make Bitcoin legal tender. And so far, 37-year-old resident Edgardo Acevedo has found the nationwide crypto experiment to be relatively anticlimactic. I don't think anything has changed, except that the country is more recognized than before, but the economic life of Salvadorans remains the same or worse than a few years ago, said Acevedo 
a development engineer working in the capital city of San Salvador. Jumping ahead a little bit, the use of Bitcoin in El Salvador appears to be low, as the currency has lost about 60% of its value since the experiment started and the, and the country still faces plummeting economic growth and a high deficit. El Salvador's debt-to-GDP ratio, a key metric used to compare what a country owes with what it generates, is set to hit nearly 87% this year, stoking fears that the nation isn't equipped to settle its loan obligations. Data from Bloomberg Economics shows that El Salvador tops its ranking of emerging market countries that are vulnerable to a debt def default. Even as it retires some of its outstanding debts, the country's domestic and multilateral loan obligations pose a real threat, in part because the world's biggest lenders aren't too keen to give cash to a country betting its future on one of the most volatile assets on the planet. Pair these economic woes with a renewed war on gang violence, and the country is barreling towards uncertainty. This is directly related to the kind of IMF loan obligations that we saw in the 90s and aughts that were that were the heart of the various riots around the world. I mean, we haven't seen them in recent years, but these globalization and neoliberalization efforts are tied to international loan obligations. So when we see articles like this talking about the the debts that El Salvador is facing, especially with 80% uh uh GDP, debt to GDP ratio, that is a foreboding sign for what might be to come in my mind. Oh, absolutely. I, the, I mean, it's already a fucked situation with, you know, whenever you deal with the IMF because of the, because of the constraints that they impose on a country and yeah, as far, you know, the debt repayment requirements. But when you take your currency and introduce all of this uncertainty and volatility like like making crypto legal tender then i, I i'm sure it just scares the shit out of the bankers <laughs> yeah bukele does have some claim to fame for his approach to dealing with el salvador's rampant gang violence essentially he just locks them up el salvador has so far imprisoned <laughs> a full two percent of its population that makes el salvador number two in the world for per capita incarcerations that puts them ahead of Turkmenistan, Brazil, and also Turkey. Actually, the only country in the world with a higher per capita incarceration rate is, that's right, you guessed it, the good old US of A. Not just per capita, we hold number one. We're number one for by volume as well. Well, he's he's really been working on that this year. He He talked about, and we talked about in that episode, his Iron Fist program. This is from a December 15th article on CNN. I'll go ahead and read this one. Eight months since El Salvador's President Nayib Bukele announced the war on gangs, an estimated 2% of the country's adult population, or roughly 100,000 people, are now behind bars. Bukele's crackdown this year prompted a bloody killing spree by gangs that saw dozens of people killed in March, placed El Salvador in a prolonged state of emergency, and relaxed important constitutional rights, like due process and freedom of association. This mano dura, or iron fist, anti-gang policy appears to be working. With homicide rates falling in the country, according to Tiziano Breda, a Central America expert in the, at the crisis group. And Bukele himself is now enjoying renown many leaders can only dream of, 
with an 86% approval rating in an October survey of 12 Latin American countries by CID Gallup, making him the most popular leader in the region, despite his alleged rights violations. Obviously, El Salvadorans like this. But that shouldn't really be surprising to anybody, though. It shouldn't be surprising that they would like it because if you have a bunch of people that are living under the fear of this insanely high level of violent crime and then something, anything comes and makes that a little bit better, they're going to love it because you're not as afraid of getting murdered on your way to work or the grocery store. You're, You're not worried about your kids at the school. All these all these fears have been addressed, at least in a way, at least apparently addressed, because you can watch the news and you can see people are getting put in jail. So you feel better, even if nothing actually changes with the crime rate, because nobody has that, you know, nobody is living in such a way that they, you know, sort of lick their finger, put it up in the air and they can tell that violent crime went down 2%. <laughs> that doesn't, that isn't something well, you notice in your day-to-day life. reading it in the crystal balls. It's, it, it seems to me that 86% sounds way high, suspiciously high, almost, almost like an election result in, in a dictatorship that claims to be some kind of a republic. But I also would agree with the sense of, yeah, it is possible to be pretty high in a country that has been experiencing such incredible homicide rates. And somebody comes in and says, I got the solution. And you see some people on the street other than the people who were killing you last week. Of course, the obvious problem with all this, or with this approach, at least with the Manodura approach, is that without creating a total police state, there is no way that a crackdown, even a protracted one, is going to work in the long run unless the causes of all that violence are addressed. So back to the article. El Salvador is now home to some of the world's most notorious gangs, including Barrio 18 and MS-13. The latter emerged in Los Angeles in the the 1980s. Remember that part. It started in the U.S. and went to El Salvador. When you you think about Trump, all the stuff he used to say about MS-13 coming across the border, just put yourself in the position of somebody living in El Salvador complaining about MS-13 starting in LA and coming across the border to you. Because that's what happened. Hey, that's because the brave leadership of Ronald Reagan made MS-13 MS go away forever. The latter emerged in Los Angeles in the 1980s among Salvadoran immigrants who had fled their homeland amid a violent civil war. Again, remember this part, a violent civil war funded in part by the United States just to keep all the the players in in their positions on the board. We helped fund a civil war. Everything went fucking crazy. People were fleeing and illegally immigrated to the United States. Then those people had no prospects because, or at least their kids probably, because they were illegal immigrants. They joined gangs for lots of reasons that people join gangs. Solidarity, safety, those kinds of things. Uh, no, uh, no, again, no employment prospects because you're illegal. And then went back to El Salvador. It grew to include other Central American migrants. And in the 1990s, many were, deport- many were deported to their home countries, causing an explosion of violence there, say experts. Before Bukele's crackdown, an estimated 70,000 active gang members across the country made it virtually impossible for politicians and state officials to avoid engaging with them if they wished to, among other things, 
carry out an election campaign, or provide services in poor neighborhoods, according to a report by the Crisis Group. But rights groups fear the effort to root them out has taken a toll of its own, resulting in the, in the, resulting in the arrest of 58,000 people between March and November 2022, overstuffed jails, and the militarization of Salvadorian that should be Salvadoran, militarization of Salvadoran society as forces patrol the streets. Widespread human rights violations have allegedly followed Bukele's dragnet, torture and ill-treatment in detention, and arbitrary arrests as the police and army target low-income neighborhoods, according to a Human Rights Watch report released on December 7th. Many of the arrests in the past year appear to be based on questionable evidence, such as the person's appearance, background or anonymous tip-offs, and an uncorroborated and uncorroborated allegations on social media, HRW writes. Previous Salvadoran governments have tried to tackle gangs with similar strategies, only to worsen the outcome. Former president. I can't imagine any way that this could this could end badly. Oh yeah, where, what, what uh, could go wrong? Just rounding right? a bunch of people up, are, are arresting <laughs> uh, tens of thousands of people based on innuendos. What, what what could possibly backfire about any of that? No, I'm sure it's just fine. Former president Antonio Saca, who pleaded guilty in 2018, this is Salvadoran president. Antonio Saka, who pleaded guilty in 2018 of embezzling $300 million in public funds, unveiled a plan known as Super Manodura, <laughs> where analysts say mass imprisonment led to gangs consolidating their power behind bars. The deployment of the military and police to combat gangs resulted in the gangs fighting not only with each other, but also with the government. In 2015, El Salvador surpassed Honduras as the most violent country in the world, with a murder rate of more than 100 per 100,000 inhabitants. The country has seen more violence in recent years during the civil... Oh, let me read that correctly. The country has seen more violence in recent years than during the civil war, according to a study... According to a 2020 study by Rosen. Tackling, tackling crime remained the top of the agenda in 2019, with Bukele swept into power, promising to end corruption and gang violence. The millennial styled himself as an iconoclast. See, why, why do you need to call him a millennial? Uh, you can look up that, his age. That doesn't even connect the right well, It has nothing to do with anything here. Like, so he is, he's, he's a couple of years under 40. And yeah, that makes Listen, him a young world he, leader. <laughs> but he... It's it's that he likes Nirvana and also wants to crack down on crime. Yeah, I mean he's also has as brutal authoritarian policies and 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 uh and likes crypto. <laughs> the millennial styled himself as an iconoclast with his embrace of Bitcoin and fondness of backward baseball caps. But fears quickly mounted about his authoritarian tendencies. You know who else likes back backwards baseball caps? It's guys who are wearing fucking Oakleys and also look like douchebags. Critical journalists and civil society members, civil society members, were allegedly targeted by his administration. And in 2020, he sent armed troops into Congress as he demanded that lawmakers approve his plan to secure a loan to tackle gang violence. This is all obviously because he's a millennial. And that's the reason that, 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 that's, that's why you should just notice that shit when you read articles. Like, why the fuck do you say millennial? It has nothing to do with anything. Last September, a constitutional court stacked with his allies, according to nonprofit Freedom House, cleared the way for Bukele to run for two consecutive terms. I mean, you might as well say, yeah, uh, like the, the, the Lebanese immigrant styled himself or the, the Lebanese Salvadoran. 
yeah. his Middle Eastern yeah. heritage also has nothing to do with his policies. And you know what? While we're on the subject, he was probably a Capricorn. The Capricorn. The, the, the Capricorn <laughs> demanded that lawmakers approve his plan. Uh, the, the man whose moon sign happens to be. I think he's Lebanese or his family's of Lebanese descent. I'm, I actually, I don't remember now. Find out, find out what his favorite crystal is, and we'll we'll have a, a real good peg on this. Right, we'll, we'll just have to figure out what his re- recipe is for hummus, and we'll know what region he comes from. Because <laughs> everybody's different. That's why everybody's everybody has their own. According to a U.S. Treasury Department statement, well, they actually, I mean, it's all pretty much the same thing, but everybody thinks theirs is better. Wait, which which region has the garlic hummus? Uh, that's the Trader Joe's. <laughs> According to a U.S. Treasury Department statement, Bukele's administration was accused of providing financial incentives to MS-13 and Barrio 18 in 2020 to, quote, ensure that incidents of gang violence and the number of confirmed homicides remained low. So that's right. When it when the crackdown didn't work, he resorted to bribery. I'm sure that's going to end well as well. We will pay you to not kill people. Bukele's government <laughs> has denied the allegations with Bukele describing Is he it- paying them in crypto? Oh my God, that would be awesome. Everybody, he's just handing out USB drives (laughs) with a wallet address on it. (laughs) It'd be a cha with a cha with a a Chivo wallet address on it. (laughs) No, he's he's got a new fucking Trump Trump trading card to give them. It's worth $99 today. Bukele's government has denied the allegations, with Bukele describing it on Twitter as an obvious lie. There is some consensus among security watchers that Bukele's truce with the gangs fell apart in late March 2020, which prompted the MS which prompted the MS16 2022. In late March 2022, which prompted the MS16. This is a quote I'm reading it as is. In late March 2022, which prompted the MS16 to do the killing spree to pressure the government to give concessions. That quote makes very little sense the way that I read it. But I can't see another way to do it, said said SIC, said Breda. The alleged move backfired and Bukele announced a state of emergency and the suspension of several constitutional rights. All right. J- jumping, jumping down to the bottom a little bit. A U.S. State Department spokesperson told CNN that gang violence is a serious problem and El Salvador and the United States have a vested interest in ensuring that these violent criminals are off the streets. At the same time, we have urged President Nayib Bukele and his administration to address the gang threat in a way that respects and protects the human rights and fundamental freedoms of the people of El Salvador. So, so something State to keep Department in mind. Doesn't give a shit uh, about human rights. Yeah, well, so, something to keep in mind along those same lines is that, and and also keeping in mind the 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 incredibly high incarceration rate per uh, per capita in El Salvador is that their entire policing strategy was handed to them by U.S. law enforcement trainers. So they're really doing exactly what they were taught to do by the U.S. So if there's the fact that they're number two isn't surprising in the slightest because they're ta- we gave them the playbook. And then right there, that statement from whoever this spokesperson is that CNN is getting uh, for, for this comment, anonymous sources you know, just listing somebody on background as a, a State Department spokesperson. How do you verify any of this stuff? Like, we can take the we can take the the journalist's word for it that this actually was somebody from the U.S. State Department, but you can't fact check any of this. Other than that, yeah, it sort of smells right. 
It has the same the, and the same sort of tone you'd expect from a, a a spokesperson from the U.S. State Department. Well, I it, it's it's the same kind of shit that you could get from a fucking AI generator. Uh, say something political, and then it gives you some hogwash that that says absolutely nothing and makes some reference to something that sounds nice. I, again, it's as if Joe Biden is writing your lines. Hogwash? <laughs> I, I'm surprised you didn't say malarkey. <laughs> El Salvador now has the perfect conditions for recruiting new gang members. People with no connection people with no connection to gangs are getting arrested, are in prisons, and are completely deprived of their livelihoods. That is the kind that is the perfect time that is the perfect kind of person to recruit. Bukele replies to the to this line of criticism, and as completely based as he is, he did it on Twitter. Have you noticed how the mainstream media and NGOs have intensified their attacks in recent days? El Salvador's president wrote on Twitter a day after HRW's report was published. It's not that they are interested in El Salvador. They never were. Their fear is that we will succeed because other governments will want to imitate it. They fear the power of example. Yeah, his his example is earlier this month uh, storming into a suburb of San Salvador with 10,000 personnel. And uh, according to his tweet, quote, the city is surrounded, end quote. That, that's exactly the kind of language you want to you want to use in regard to one of your own cities that has your citizens inside of it. The city is yeah. surrounded. Just imagine imagine that like, that's the tweet that comes out of. Now, I can imagine it coming out of Trump to say Chicago is surrounded. Portland is surrounded. <laughs> the Republic, the People's Republic of Seattle has been <laughs> occupied. The other person from 2022 that we'd like to cover for this episode that we talked about back in episode 18 is the top G himself, the man from Wudan <laughs> Monastery, founder of Hustlers <laughs> University, Mr. Andrew Tate. <laughs> this is an article from Ikran Dahir at BuzzFeed. While red pilling, also drawn from the Matrix, has been part of the cultural lexicon for the last several years, now adherents of Tate have coalesced in one place and are seemingly more intent than ever on escaping the Matrix. They have come to believe he, the school, and Tateism think pro-capitalism and pro-hypermasculinity hold the answers to how to find freedom from societal slavery. That includes financial independence, but also rejection of modern progressive politics. And the Hustlers University 2.0 program was designed, through its affiliate program, to effectively spread that messaging all across the social media channels, all across the social media channels where dissatisfied young men dwell. Not not to uh not to you know criticize Ikranda here at all, but actually the term red pilling it's most popularly known from the Matrix because you get that red pill blue pill scene with Neo, but it actually came from the movie Total Recall. Did it now? Yeah, I didn't so even the, realize uh, that myself. The, who was that? Like Paul Verhoeven, I think, was the director of that movie. The movie, uh, you know, everybody remembers the Schwarzenegger film, but the it was based on a uh, a Philip K. Dick story called "Well, uh, We'll Sell It For You Wholesale." I think is what it was called. Uh huh. In that movie, there's just a red pill. 
There's no blue pill. There's no like Alice in Wonderland sort of moment of choice where you're going to take one potion or the other. As a, as a, the, you know, I'll just talk about the film and not the book and not the story, but as Schwarzenegger is having, you know, having sort of all of these ideas about being a spy and everything like that, he's visited by this, uh, this doctor who tells him to, he has to take this pill and that he'll, you know, he'll come out of this hallucination he's been having. And if he doesn't take it, then he's going to, I forget the term that's used, but he's basically just going to go like full on psychotic and delusional <laughs> because he'll he'll have totally bought into all of this fantasy that he's been living about being a spy and all this other stuff that's going on. So that that's actually, and, and the, the Wachowskis talked about this in an interview where the, like one of the, one of their points of inspiration was the, the, the Total Recall film, the original one, not that. Colin Farrell thing, <laughs> and the uh, and then the uh, Philip K. Dick's original short story. No shit. Well, this is like a fucking episode of Reading Rainbow. <laughs> Take a look; it's in a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he's at the very least he's talking more than ever before about Matrix metaphors and God and being a man or no, something. Th there is, I have no doubt in my mind that nobody who uses the red pill metaphor, including Elon Musk has ever come across that Philip K. Dick story or, or made the connection with that film. They, 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 that is not something that any of them are doing for, for all that Elon Musk has talks about the, the inspiration he gets from science fiction. He doesn't seem like he's actually opened a book in the last 35 or 40 years. I think that all of the, 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 the references that he has are things that he read when he was a teenager. I don't, I don't think he reads anything ever. He just remembers stuff. If he's been exposed to Dune, it's via Sting at most. <laughs> that was a good movie. All right. The original Dune was it good. Wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't bad. I will, I, will, I will hang that out there. I will argue that with anybody. The original Dune was good. <laughs> I mean, come on. It was good. I, it was just good. You, you can't... J Patrick Stewart's in that I mean, movie. Honestly, I found it a bit dry <sighs> and sandy. Oh, Jesus. Sean's going to cut that. He's going to... God damn it. I won't cut it I, because you know what? Sometimes <laughs> it is so cringy bad that I have to leave it in there just so that people know <laughs> what I have to deal with. <laughs> well, he doubled down on his Hustlers University that... Don't forget that he got banned from all the social media. We can't... We can't... That, this is... We're supposed to do a where are they now with this. Remember, we when we talked about him back in episode 18 i think it was because he had gotten kicked off of all the social networks he got kicked off everything but he is back on twitter kick he's back on twitter and him being kicked off ironically probably kick-started his i don't know popularity relative b-list celebrity popularity might be more accurate but popularity in his niche came from being kicked off of everyone, you you only know that you're doing the right thing if you're being banned is something that yeah. he said. Recently. You're over the target. That's why they banned you. <laughs> yeah. And he's so he made a ton of money by selling his grift to people. And his grift is you should be manly and make money. And 
he's selling it again in phase two, which is literally the same thing, but with more mentions of mentions of the Matrix. It's now $49 a month. And he has a bunch of different URLs on on Twitter, where he's now allowed back again because thanks, Elon. Now remember, he, uh, like, so so he has a lot of programs. Husser's University is that's the intro program. That's why it's only forty nine dollars a month. He's not making he's not raking it in because of Hustlers University. He's raking well, it in because well, you, this you, isn't Hustlers University. Hustlers University was slightly different before this and is now no longer a thing. And now this is the new Hustlers University. Right. This is the 2.0. And and there's actually 3.0 in the works. At least that's the thing. That's that's something that I've come across recently, that there's there's still a next iteration on the way. But this is all meant to funnel in a, a, uh, a much smaller group into Tate's War Room. And War Room is thousands of dollars a month. It's it's four thousand and some change, a little shy of five thousand dollars a pop. And uh, I I don't know if this guy can pick a URL or what, but fucking on Twitter, it's well, I don't have to list all of them, and it doesn't even matter. You can find him if you want to. But he has a bunch of different URLs that reference the same things. Some of them go to the same place, some of them go elsewhere, but they're all kind of funneling into the same shit. Uh, it it's it's very similar to my favorite guy to hate, at least this year. He's been my favorite guy to hate, David Avocado Wolf. Uh, Got to bring him up again because he has ten thousand links, just like this fucking guy has ten thousand links, and it's all going to the same grift. And uh, uh, it's not for nothing because the BuzzFeed article that we just referenced said that he was making at least. 11 million a month, or at least in October. And I, I don't doubt that for a second. Uh, based on how many subscriptions there supposedly are, and uh, based on how much they cost, absolutely. Uh, 11 million a month makes perfect sense. You know, we're uh, we're not actually gonna, I don't I don't really want to spend any time on Avocado Wolf ever than, other than to uh, drop this. And I'll, I'll cut it if it's wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure that I saw on Telegram that he shared a PDF or a link to a PDF of the protocols of the elders of Zion. <laughs> See, he's my favorite guy to hate for some reason. Well, back on Twitter, at least unlike Trump, he was happy to hop back on Twitter. Twitter. Trump his his account hasn't had a new tweet since the tweet where he left off when he got banned because he's he like he said uh after after Elon made a big to do about Trump being his 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 Twitter account being restored Trump said yeah no thanks i got mine <laughs> and and so Trump hasn't been back on but uh fucking Tate has been on every day since he got restored. Oh, yeah. He's he couldn't. Happy. I'm sure he could not wait. See, Trump can't get back on because in the interim, in his absence on Twitter, he started out. He start. He invested heavily in True Social. So now he's financially tied to this. If he starts using Twitter, everybody's going to leave Truth Social. He can't leave. Yeah. He has to stay he there. He can't leave. That's why he hasn't tweeted. He. I'm sure he would love to tweet. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I'm on True Social on account of this podcast. So these are the kind of sacrifices we make for you. If you'd like to donate <laughs> for only $3 a month while it lasts. Hey, no sales pitches. It's Christmas. <laughs> but still, please right. donate. Well, he, yeah, but for real. <laughs> so he he thinks that the Matrix is coming for him now. Apparently, he's he's getting a little more conspiratorial in some of the things that he says than he was before. At least I don't know by by volume. And uh, yeah, did, he, didn't he tweet he something tweeted, along the lines of "If they kill me, I love you all"? <laughs> he did. That was on December fourteenth, and God was a creepy. Like can't, nobody's out to get you, bud. Nobody nobody fucking cares. Uh, his whole fucking scam is to sell people on the idea of you, you got to pull yourself up on your, by your bootstraps and you, you gotta, you gotta hustle and you gotta go out there and make money. And when you ask, well, how do you make money? His whole thing is that he made money by selling people on, you should go out and make money. Right. He's, he's, he's making money by <laughs> selling people advice that they should go out and make money. <laughs> And then when you when you actually look at the the the, the program offerings, it is like learn how to day trade, uh, do uh, do Monex, do <laughs> start freelancing. It's like the most it's the most half baked one hundred one YouTube how tos. Yeah, it is fucking ridiculous. And people obviously they're signed up for it. And he's the worst part is he's he's preying on alienated anxious young men. Uh, who are are buying this shit and he's selling them on this idea that that the system's out to get you the matrix is out to get you and they don't want you to make money and and that's why that's why uh the educators and anti-intellectualism anti-woke anti-vax he's 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 got all the things going for his not quite ideology really he doesn't really believe in anything other than him is really all I can tell, but he's preying on these guys and saying, oh, they just don't want you to make money. And it's, it's almost this vaguely proletariat pitch, but just so that you should, you should really be on top, but the people on top are out to get you. It, it doesn't make any sense. The world is influence. It's always been about me. Pitch battles in which armies go to war with machines of death and destruction is about nothing more than influence, controlling the land to influence it, to tell them what language to speak, to tell them what currency to use, to tell them who to vote for. It's always been about influence. The battle for control, the battle for information, people think it's a small one. Oh yeah, they control the information, but it doesn't matter, it's just a website. No, because the information influences you. And battles for influence are the only reason there's been battles since the dawn of human time. We're now living in a world where there is endless battle ongoing for your mind. They're trying to control what you see. If they control what you see, they can control what you think, and they can influence you. Once they can influence you, they can control you. Every single thing that exists out there inside of the matrix is done so with a purpose. They don't give you the news for free because they want you to be informed. They give you the news for free because they want you to watch it so they can tell you what to think. Every class you learn in school. The information is entirely free. Anyway, for $49 a month, here's the information. <laughs> that is it for our recap of the Where Are They Now? There are a lot of other people we could have covered, but 
we're uh we're we're already in a in into a very long episode but i'd like to just take the last uh the last few minutes for everyone to um to help everyone get into the christmas spirit a little bit and to help us with that we have an article a very special article from Lou Aguilar christmas in hollywoke tis the week before christmas and on tcm Yuletide movies are playing AM to PM. (laughs) Hallmark Channel and Lifetime are doing the same, but with made-for-TV films, most of them lame. Full of left-wing inclusion, so blatantly woke, they seek to make Christmas a liberal joke. When what to conservative eyes should appear? Great American family for traditional cheer. Perusing the week-long Christmas movie marathon on Turner Classic, I will. I almost kept reading it in the in the in the same with the uh, the the same uh, pacing. <laughs> perusing the week-long Christmas you're movie into marathon. The Christmas spirit. Cr- perusing the week-long Christmas movie marathon on Turner Classic Movies, which has the best film library on television. I noted that for all its history of screen magic, Hollywood made surprisingly few great Christmas pictures over a hundred plus years. True, The Four Finest, It's a Wonderful Life, 1946, Miracle on 34th Street, 1947, A Christmas Carol, 1951, and A Christmas Story, 1983, aren't owned by TCM, but four more doesn't add much to the ratio. There are some sublime seasonal moments in the non-Christmas classics TCM offers, such as Judy Garland singing Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas in Meet Me in St. Louis, 1944. And Christmas Morning with Nick and Nora Charles in The Thin Man, 1934. But only a handful of pure Christmas gems. These are Ernst Lubitsch's wonderful The Shop Around the Corner, 1940, with James Stewart and Margaret Sullivan. A Christmas Carol, 1938, with Reginald Owen. Christmas in Connecticut, 1945, with Barbara Stanwyck and Sidney Greenstreet. The Lion in Winter, ruled by royals Peter O'Toole and Catherine Hepburn. And... Remember the Night, 1940, pairing Stanwyck and Fred McMurray four years before they shot each other in double indemnity. So you can also see Fred McMurray in fantastic and memorable films like The Shaggy DA, where a lawyer turns into a dog. (laughs) You know, the best part is she didn't mention the best Christmas one of all, uh, which was done by- This is a he, by the way. This is Lou. 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 Oh, is it? Yeah. Lou Aguilar. Yeah. Oh, my mistake. Let me try that again. No, 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 just keep going. I don't want to cut things. <laughs> Lou didn't mention. You don't need to use Christmas his name. <laughs> God. <laughs> what? I've literally never heard of this guy before I found this article. I don't. <laughs> just keep going. Talk, damn it. <laughs> They didn't mention the most wonderful they, Christmas oh movie of God. all. Oh my God. I'm not sure how this trad cat self identifies. <laughs> he didn't mention. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This whole thing is just falling apart right now. Like the, the wheels are coming off as we speak. A Christmas Kiss featuring legendary rock band Kiss and, of course, Santa. 
all of that for <laughs> that was a long walk for a, a kiss fucking short glass of water <sighs> <laughs> honorable mentions go to bachelor mother 1939 starring ginger rogers and david niven Lady in the Lake with Robert Montgomery, mostly off-camera as Philip Marlowe, the increasingly appreciated Holiday Affair, 1949, with a shockingly charming Robert Mitchum. Shockingly charming. I think Robert Mitchum was shockingly charming in Cape Fear. <laughs> and lovely young, 22, Janet Lee, The Man Who Came to Dinner, 1942, with Monty Woolley and Betty Davis. Is this guy like 85 years old? All of these movies were made in the 30s and 40s. I, this clearly a vampire just sleeps in the day and, and is awake at night. The Bishop's Wife, 1948, with literally angelic Cary Grant, literally angelic. And Frank Capra's over-sentimental Meet John Doe, 1941, with Gary Cooper and again, Barbara Stanwyck. Barbara Stanwyck, evidently three mentions here, definitely a fan. The Hallmark Channel and Lifetime do offer strictly Christmas movies, if made for television ones. A handful of the films are pretty good, with numerous prince-centric ones that cater to the fairy tale romanticism of the predominantly female audience. They include The Royal Nanny, in which an MI5 agent, Rachel Scarston, must, prote must protect a prince's two children, A Royal Corgi Christmas, A Royal Queen's Christmas, and Christmas at Castle Heart. These titles appear to have a higher budget befitting their status as crowd-pleasers. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Nonetheless, wokeness has polluted this year's movie batch. Ceaseless progressive criticism and non-inclusive content intimidated the Hallmark Channel into producing its first Christmas gay romance, The Holiday Sitters. Two Chinese-American ones, A Big Fat Family Christmas, Christmas at the and Christmas at the Golden Dragon. Two Jewish ones, Hanukkah on Rye, and Love Lights Hanukkah. <laughs> I mean, can those technically be called Christmas movies? They're Hanukkah movies. <laughs> this entire month belongs to Christmas. It's, it's in the trademark. Which somewhat obscure the Christmas spirit. <laughs> we cannot possibly have Christmas spirit with the gays, the Chinese, the, and the Jews. <laughs> As for feminist heavy lifetime, in what seems like every other Christmas movie, a supporting female character introduces another woman as her wife. <laughs> Isn't Lifetime literally a TV network for women? So, Isn't that their fucking tagline? Well, well evidently, it's, it's the TV network for women on women. This is the time to mention that Lou Aguilar is somebody, like I said, I'd never heard of. But I did my, I did my due diligence. I looked him up. I, I followed the first link that I saw, which led to his author page on Amazon. And I found out that he is the author of a fantastic book called The Christmas Spirit. And Jules, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin the surprise, but I'm buying this for you for Christmas. <laughs> it is described as a jaded woman's magazine writer becomes obsessed with the dynamic lighthouse keeper who rescued her at sea just before Christmas, then mysteriously vanished. She sets out to write a story on him, much to her rich fiancé's displeasure and the Coast Guard's discouragement. 
Why would the Coast Guard discourage her writing a story about a guy that saved her life? I, he's probably a ghost. The deeper she delves into the mystery, the more she uncovers a romantic Christmas magic she never imagined, but will take all her courage to embrace. That is 159 pages of Christmas romantic fun from World Castle Publishing. I, I'm almost positive that that is a story about a ghost who has a romantic relationship with her. Like that episode in Star Trek with the doctor. <laughs> with the ghost. <laughs> it gets better. It's, it's, the, it's the cream pie of the Holy this, Spirit. This continues getting better. The, 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 his author, like the book page on Amazon, it just, you know, sometimes you find things and they, you just find um, unpredictable gifts. Here's one of the top reviews. <laughs> Carolyn York, a journalist of Sublime Magazine, has everything a lady craves for. A job with a steady income, a posh home, and a loving fiancé. However, that does not stop her from being melancholic and feeling guilty about the fun, fashion, frolic lifestyle she's being paid to promote. Much to her surprise, her life takes an unexpected turn. Is that Balenciaga? It sounds like Balenciaga. <laughs> <laughs> Much to her surprise, her life takes an, takes an unexpected turn when a handsome knight in shining armor rescues her at sea. Driven by her insane curiosity and interest, Carolyn endeavors to write a story about her mysterious hero, unintentionally discovering the truth behind a, oh, you called it, behind a supernatural uh, yes! ghostly legend yes! about the man whom she yes! has fallen head over heels yes! for. Yes! <laughs> 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 Bad writing is predictable. <laughs> the Christmas Spirit is a wonderful romance novel set in Yuletide, where everything and every scene has something to do with Christmas. Author Lou Aguilar successfully incorporates elements such as Christmas trees. <laughs> to such as Christmas trees to generic Yuletide music in his book. Generic. This is the this is the positive five star review that talks about generic Yuletide music. I can't breathe. Concocting a festive mood and whisking his readers into the setting of this lighthearted tale of love. The inclusion of the names of multiple Christmas songs <laughs> created a jolly vibe to this romantic and somewhat <laughs> suspenseful story. Aguilar is especially clever at descriptive writing. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. It's a gift. Was this written by his mother? <laughs> <laughs> Through his prose, I saw the beams of the lighthouse sweeping across the sea, heard the choppy waves crashing against the rocks and the vessel. Felt the cold oceanic air enveloping me in a chilly embrace. Aguilar's depiction of small, seemingly insignificant details in the scenes makes the Christmas spirit realistic, believable, and haunting. Only a breath away the from the readers. It has fucking adverbs. Only a breath away from the readers. Although quite a short read, the Christmas the Christmas spirit is an enjoyable and lovable Yuletide tale that tells us love conquers all adversity. By giving others her love and proactively pursuing her lover, Carolyn paved her own path to happiness, showing readers females can also dominate a relationship, at least with a ghost. So he, <laughs> so he has a femdom ghost kink. If you're looking for your next favorite book, read The Christmas Spirit. It is an interesting and delightful novella that is sure to impress. 
All right, one 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 more of these. Another five star review. I, I don't I don't know if I can survive another one. Great book. In a world where COVID has stolen so much from us, I found quite a respite when this book arrived in my mail Saturday morning, reading the book in its entirety. The fact that we had a gray overcast skies and light snowfall here in Wisconsin was a fitting backdrop as I enjoyed my perusal. From the beginning, this story hooks you in. I must admit, I read the first chapter twice as the book starts out in a busy Christmas gathering, and I wanted to sort out each character at the opening so as to get a grip on where each fit in and what role they would ultimately play. Once I felt comfortable with the sorting, it was on to the second chapter. From there, I could not okay, put the- Okay, these sound like fucking fake reviews. <laughs> From there, <laughs> I could not put the book down. The author very skillfully had me, skillfully had me inserting myself into the entire adventure. As if I were there to witness and feel the emotions and nuances of each individual character. From frivolity, from frivolity to chills to danger to romance, a great read. In my humble opinion, if made into a movie, this could become an annual Christmas viewing staple. All right, so Cohen Brothers, if you're listening. In the interest of being balanced, I just read two five-star reviews. How about a one-star? Hacky amateurish. Just awful. Was this written by a third grader? Embarrassing. Watch the Yuletide log burn on TV for six hours. Much more entertaining. <laughs> so there, there, there you go, listeners. <laughs> Don't say we never gave you nothing. Give the Christmas spirit a try. Spin the roulette wheel. All right, I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to his article now. In fact. Other than, royal, other than the royal-themed fair, none of the recent films have the least dose of spiritual value, and rather seem to exploit the holiday for mercenary purposes. The trend proved too much for two conservative former Hallmark Channel heavyweights, ex-honcho Bill Abbott and Christmas movie darling Candace Cameron Bure. Abbott became CEO of the new Great American Family Network, and Cameron Bure joined him there as chief creative officer and continuing movie star. For the first time together, it's Full House and Fuller House under one roof, right here on GAC Family. We're excited to announce the star and producer of Fuller House, Candace Cameron Bure, has joined the GAC Family. You know her as the Queen of Christmas, and now she's bringing new movies and more to great American channels. Until then, watch Candace Cameron Bure in Full House and Fuller House, weekdays on GAC Family. Known for her, her role in A Christmas Present. <laughs> I, I, I looked up Cameron Bure because I'd never heard this name before. Yeah. I, movie star is being really generous with her. I didn't realize this, but she was one of, the, uh, one of the cast on the original Full House and then came back for the reboot, the Fuller House that was, I was on a Netflix or something like that. I don't know where that showed up. She has basically done nothing but holiday films. You can't read her her uh, her previous appearances on IMDb without thinking about Troy McClure, <laughs> Cameron <laughs> Bure, as, as you know, as known from the films The Heart of Christmas, Puppy Love, Christmas <laughs> Under Wraps, A Christmas Detour, Moonlight and Mistletoe, Visitors in the Night, Switched for Christmas, A Shoe Addict's Christmas, Christmas Town, a If I Only Had Christmas. I'm not gonna say she's being typecasted. But I think she's being typecast. She's done almost nothing but work for for the Hallmark Channel. So really, she she 
she didn't have a choice. This was actually a gamble for her, actually, to, like, to leave all of that behind. The actors gave an unequivocal reason for leaving Hallmark and joining GAF. Traditional values closer aligned to the true meaning of Christmas. The birth of Christ. Quote, My heart wants to tell stories that have more meaning and purpose and depth behind them, Beer said. I knew that people behind Great American Family were Christians, that loved the Lord and wanted to promote faith programming and good family entertainment. But it was another Beer remark that sent Hollywood into a feeding frenzy. Responding to a Wall Street Journal question about LGBTQ storylines at her new channel, Beer said, quote, I think that Great American Family will keep traditional marriage at the core. To no one's surprise, the blowback for her not kneeling to the Rainbow Militia was instantaneous and fierce. The Rainbow Militia? It's the Alphabet Mafia, goddammit. That guy, Abbott, and his network are disgusting, declared some starlet named Hillary Burton. So she's a movie star, but Hillary Burton, who I've also never heard of, is just some starlet. You too, Candy. There is nothing untraditional about same-sex couples, which is true. Bigot? I don't remember Jesus liking <laughs> hypocrites like Candy, but sure, make your money, honey. You ride that prejudice wave all the way to the bank. But, was this written in 1936? Make your money, honey. You ride that prejudice wave all the way to the bank. Nobody actually said any of these things. <laughs> Neil Bledsoe, the annoying male lead in one of this year's GAF movies, Christmas Can at the Drive-In, broke ties with the network in a ridiculously pompous thespian huff. All right, so the guy who broke ties with the network was the annoying male lead, but the one who is taking a principled Jesus first Christmas stand is a movie star. All right, I, I, I just want to lay things out in Aguilar's world. Bledsoe said, as an artist, I, I yearn to be proud of the work I create, but the thought that my work could be used to deliberately discriminate against anyone horrifies and infuriates me. Bledsoe's co-star in the film, the likable Dana McKellar, has taken a more reasonable approach so far, saying, I don't agree with this interpretation of her, Bure's comments. I just don't see them the same way. So so he's likable because he's on the fence. Well, it's a, it's a she. It's a, Dana Dana's a she, I'm sure. But yeah, so Aguilar oh. thinks Dana's likable, but Neil Bledsoe is annoying. <laughs> but it took Bure herself to demonstrate what Christmas and Christianity are all about in an Instagram statement responding to leftist hostility, saying, I am a devoted Christian, which means that I believe that every human being bears the image of God. Unless you're gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans, and so on. Because of that, I am called to love all people, and I do. In everything I do and say, God's love and God's compassion is front and center. All of that comes from the love that God himself showered upon humanity when he gave the gift of joy and forgiveness on the first Christmas morning 2,000 years ago. Sounds like more of a golden shower if I had to pick a descriptor. There, there you have it, everybody. That is us for this year. That is it for Wet Wired. I, I, I hope that that, uh, that Aguilar's article helps you to, uh, to create that Christmas spirit inside yourself. You know what? We're going to be canceled after this. And, I mean, and we're, we're, we're too woke. Uh, we're, we're part of the, the, the leftist, atheist, satanic mafia that is the, coming to get you. And, and if you can't find that Christmas spirit, then there's always Hanukkah, Solstice, or, or, or whatever else. Whoever else will accept you. Uh, this year, I'm celebrating both Festivus and Saturnalia on the 23rd with a Festivus poll. 
made out of aluminum because it has a high strength to weight ratio. We are going to be back in 2023 with lots of new stuff. We have quite a few ideas planned for at least the, the first part of the year. And so if you want to make sure you catch all of our episodes, subscribe to us on Patreon. And, uh, and here's, a, uh, here's a pro tip. If you subscribe to Patreon and pay for one month, maybe two, it might take you two months, you can listen to all of our back catalog and then just treat it like Netflix and cancel until we come out with something else you want to listen to. And then subscribe for a month and catch those episodes. That's what I do with HPO like twice a year. That is like literally like I, I, I'm not trying to take money out of our pockets, but you can literally do that. You can we have, I don't know, 10, 12 premium episodes, 13. I don't, I don't even I'm not I don't remember off the top of my head. You could go and you listen to those. Each one's an hour and change, hour and a half. You know, some of them are a little bit longer than that. You could listen to those and then just cancel and come back in a couple of months. We're not trying to uh, to get anybody on the hook for an ongoing subscription. We're just uh, we're just trying to cover our expenses here. Jules, you have anything else? I'm really looking forward to the new year. I I think the next year is going to be pretty exciting. Actually, uh, as of a couple of days ago, we have our first guest of 2023 already lined up. That should be yeah, a lot of fun. It's going to be great. I'm I'm super pumped. Yeah, I hope everybody has a fantastic new year. Get super tanked, and if you're blackout, I just hope you end up in your bed eventually. I guess, or someone's. I hope you end up in a bed. Yeah, I hope you end up in a bed. <laughs> All right, everyone. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Kwanzaa. Good. I don't know. What else is anybody? Saturnalia. Saturnalia. Yes. A festivist for the rest of us. And, uh, and we will see you in 2023. Asta. Good evening, Maverick family, and uh, Merry Christmas. You may not want to watch tonight's show. Warning. Some of the content may be shocking. Viewer discretion is absolutely advised. If you have children, you may not want them to watch this. Because we are going to be talking about satanic Christmas. Some of this stuff you just might not want to see. I don't really want to look at it. But I did, and I'm going to. And for those of you who decide to stay, we will explore together. For me, this journey began with the whole Balenciaga Christmas campaign controversy, which broke recently as a major news story and generated a ton of Concern, backlash, controversy. But will Balenciaga survive? I think they will as a brand. When's the last time you've sat with any of the Matrix-approved systems in a school 
any TV program, any financial planner, and they told you exactly how to make money. They don't tell you that because once you're rich, you're free. This is why they cannot have you earning money. This is why you must stay inside of your fucking box. This is the whole point of all of it. The real world is something that I have built. It's something I was planning for a very long time. And after they canceled me, I accelerated my plans. The real world uses its own servers hidden beneath the mountain. Armed guards defend them. The real world has its own processing power, its own banks. The real world cannot be shut down. It cannot be censored. It cannot be stopped. They cannot tell me what I can say. The information is truly free. And this is how I will teach you how to make money in ways you have never heard of before, never seen before, and will never find access to these tools and this information anywhere else on the planet. We're in the middle of a cultural shift. One of the biggest mistakes they ever made was banning me. This annoyed God, because God knows the truth in my heart. He knows I cannot lie. God is on my side. Elon now has control of Twitter and is opening up people's minds to free information. Meta, as a company, is tanking. Mark Zuckerberg went from the third richest man in the world to the 29th richest man in the world. YouTube stock is down. Rumble, where I am, the stock is up. People are starting to understand if you want the truth, you have to go to other platforms, and other platforms are starting to prosper all across the internet. Information is becoming free again. Influence is diversifying. The matrix is cracking. And if you want to escape, I'm waiting for you inside of the real world.